Welcome to another edition of the Week Den Update. I'm your host, Will Walker, and he's just a blogger. How's it going, Kraft? <laughs> it's going well. It's going well. So I thought I was going to get kicked out, but I somehow was able to come back for the second half. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are recording here the morning after um, a late game uh, that we lost against the Los Angeles yes. Lakers. It was it's insult to injury on these West Coast trips when you have to, to stay up and, and end up not yep. taking home the win. Um, but I think it's no. good that we are we are talking after this because we've been riding high on an 11-game win streak. We had yep. some um, humility served to us, and we will get into <laughs> all the details behind that. Uh, but yeah. first, the Grizzlies are 31-14. and 14. They are second in the conference. They are third in the NBA, offensive rating at 114.8, which is good for seventh in the NBA. Defensive rating at 109.2, that is still first in the league. Net rating at a 5.6, that is second. And the point differential per cleaning the glass has them at a 7.1. We've actually increased there from last time we spoke, and they're second in that as well, just right behind Boston. Before we get into all the games from last week, Kraft, let's start with the news. Yeah, so we had talked last week, um, which now seems forever ago because it's four games ago, about being a little nervous about Brandon Clark having missed several games in a row. Uh, but on January 14th, Brandon Clark made his return uh, to the lineup after missing six games, and it was great. He had a he had a really good week. Um, it was great. It's great having Brandon back. Um, but it once again, it looked like kind of what we were. Uh, sort of, we had you know hypothesized that he just is someone who does uh, struggles to play through any kind of injury. He's at his best, and we only want him playing when he's a hundred percent. So we were going to leave him out a little longer. Yeah, and John Morant was also listed as questionable um, the next night before the the Suns game with left hip soreness, and this is not the first time we've seen left hip soreness uh, be listed for Jaw as well. He did end up playing on that MLK day game. Yeah. And it makes it does, I do wonder if he would have like I, I wonder if it wasn't the MLK game if he would have been playing or not. Yeah, I had so. the same thought. Um but he did end up playing and has not necessarily sat out yet. I'll be very interested to see mm-hmm. moving through this uh this West Coast road trip, how they're going to yeah. deal with some of the guys who are yeah. nicked up, but um, well, yeah, and that might you know, and I guess spoiler for early later, I, I think I think Jaw and Dylan are uh, uh, have some uh, are definitely not playing a hundred percent. So so we'll see how yeah. that works too. The last thing, which is an encouragement, was a video put out by DeMichael Cole before the Lakers game, and it was Danny Green uh, putting up some shots pregame in LA in crypto.com arena and he looked like he was moving really well um and of course I think it was great that he was in particular shooting from the corner which is where I feel like we have been struggling (laughs) another preview for maybe our conversation to come here but it was good to see Danny Green moving around um and I am very ready for for Green's return to the floor but um yeah, that was kind of the news from last week. Yeah. Not a huge, huge week news-wise. We just had uh, a bunch of games that we played, so let's get into them. And I think okay. we should start with the one last night in L.A. And I know that this is kind of, I mean, 
this is going to be the lead on a bunch of shows, and I would prefer to mainly focus on the basketball in this one, but yeah. we have to start with yeah. the situation uh, that that occurred before halftime with Shannon Sharp, and I will use Dave McMiniman's tweet as as a guide through what happened step-by-step step here, and it was Shannon Sharp actually talking to McMiniman, and he said, they didn't want this smoke, Dave. They do all that talking and jockeying, and I ain't about that jockeying. It started with Dylan Brooks. I said he was too small to guard LeBron. He said, F you. I said, F you back. He started to come at me, and I said, you don't want these problems. And then Ja came out of nowhere talking. He definitely didn't want these problems. Then the dad came, and he obviously didn't want no problems, but I wanted anything they had. Don't let these fools fool you now. Um, Shannon Sharp is a host on the program Undisputed, which is on Fox Sports. I thought it was ironic, and Drew Hill noted yep. this, that he kind of spilled his guts to an ESPN reporter of everything. So that's that's the first thing that made me laugh. Well, I, thing, I, I mean, that, that to giving giving a lot of fire to, the, you know, I guess some smoke to the rumors that his time with Skip Bayless on Undisputed and Fox is potentially coming to an end. Um, going to your rival to give them the news is very interesting. So anyway, yeah. sorry. Sorry for the interruption. Not at all. Please. I just find that shocking. <laughs> Please. Uh, yeah, I um, admittedly, I'm not an undisputed watcher every day. Apparently, uh, Skip Bayless is sort of the Grizzlies supporter on that show. And Shannon is the, the detractor. They're not allowed to agree on anything. And apparently Sh- Shannon is also a Lakers fan. He's yeah. at these games often. Um, one thing that I really would like to focus on, Shannon said it started with Dylan Brooks. But then he goes on to say that he himself was the one who started the talking to Dylan Brooks by saying that Dylan was too small, small to guard LeBron. So to me, I, I mean, obviously the Grizzlies, one of the things that we've covered is that they like to talk. And mm-hmm. Bain said it on his podcast with J.J. Redick, and they've referenced, I mean, Ja obviously has had his media appearances and has exuded confidence in this area. To me, though, I have never seen the Grizzlies be the uh, the sole instigators when it was something that didn't necessarily have to do with what was going on in the floor. Obviously, you know, if they're playing well, if they're in a rhythm and they're playing a team that they don't necessarily love, obviously there's some some chirping that goes on, and that's just normal in everyday hoops. But as far as just off the floor, and and by off the floor, I don't necessarily mean like not during game. I just mean like during timeouts or during stoppages, things like that. It's not necessarily something that you'll often see them do. So I thought it was notable that Shannon was actually the one who first yelled at Dylan Brooks. And if you yell at, at guys like this, they're competitive, especially this Grizzlies team who has a lot of pride and confidence they're going to chirp back. And I thought that it was uh, actually a very galvanizing moment for the Grizzlies to get behind their guy in Dylan. And uh, Jock, honestly, the, the part that Shannon left out was Steven Adams charging, which right. I, I I said this uh, in a few text threads, but I don't I don't care what the situation is. If, if Steven Adams is, is frustrated about something, then I will be on his side no matter what. And so um, what did you think about the whole affair? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, one, the sort of what's interesting, uh, LeBron had a much better second half. Uh, I mean, obviously he's LeBron, but I actually thought what was interesting is 
is that Dylan actually, I thought, did a really great job on LeBron in the first half, uh, like uh, kind of like keeping him to shooting sort of jumpers. And uh, and I thought he did a great job on LeBron the first half. Uh, second half might be a different story, but um, but so it's kind of funny that he was doing that. But yeah, I mean, I think if watching the video, I think Stephen Adams and T. Morant are the two that kind of jump out. Uh, as far as, but really it's, you know, the broadcast uh, caught jaw, you know, saying, you know, going at somebody at right before the half, right before the end of the first half. And, and so then obviously we get on Twitter and we find out that, that it's sharp. Um, but like when you watch the clips that are going around, I mean, it is, it is him yelling towards the Grizzlies kind of bench and jaw and then Adams like coming out there and kind of having to be restrained. I mean, you know, in a way, uh, but like, he's the one that's really go like the most demonstrative. And so, you know, we don't know what was there. I do know that. So, I mean, something happened to really get Adams going. I don't know what that was. Uh, like you said, uh, him being angry kind of made it feel like, uh, some, some line was crossed, but I don't know what that was. And, uh, and so the whole thing was very the, the whole thing was just so strange, you know. And and I would say, you know, if this had, if this was a month from now, like this would be all the shows on Monday uh, because it's NFL playoff weekend. I don't, you know, like I don't think this is going to be on PTI. Obviously, they're going to talk about it undisputed, probably. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's definitely going to be the news until the the football games start uh, later today, since we're recording this on Saturday. So. I don't, but I don't, but it's a it was just a weird affair, um, you know, uh, that kind of you know ended up being sort of the the big headline coming out of the game. Yeah, and as we get into talking about the actual game, I thought that Ja was going. To, I mean, he came out in the third quarter playing very aggressively, and I thought it was going to be a catalyst for what was yeah. going to become a Grizzlies blowout. Because right. first of all, we have to note the Lakers are not a good basketball team, and so far this season, the Grizzlies have taken care of these under yes. 500 teams very easily. And I think when we get into, the, like I said, the actual basketball, you know, Ja just didn't have his best game. And mm-hmm. you look at what well, I was mapping his field goal attempts this season, and I thought it was interesting that this was the most field goal attempts he has taken so far this season. And it's actually tied with one other game. And that game happens to be the Golden State game on Christmas Day. Yeah. And so this tells me that Ja was frustrated that he he wasn't hitting the shots he was normally hitting. He was trying to shoot himself out of it and he tried to take control and um, it just wasn't falling and he wasn't the only one where shots weren't falling. I thought that was the story of the game for the Grizzlies is that yeah. we could not hit a shot and had a bunch of air, uncharacteristic turnovers. Um, in addition to not getting back on transition defense, just stuff that that bad yeah. teams do. We didn't look yeah. like a good team last night. No. Yeah, I mean, John 9 for 29, Dylan 4 for 17. Uh, you know, Bain even, uh, though though I laughed because Bain was still 2 for 4 from 3, <laughs> to like keep his long streak going of shooting 50% or better from 3 since he's coming back. But uh, 6 of 15 from the floor really low for Bain. And then Jaron even was three for eight. Uh, but even just looking at those four, you know, basically our four, our, our top four players, you know, definitely our core three, 
Uh, all of them shot well below 500. Uh, all of them, the, the shooting, the way it is, you know, what we want to see Jaw, then Bane, then Jaren, then Dylan. You know, the, the, the shot attempts, you know, I think that's way too many shots for Dylan. Uh, he should never be above Bane and above Jaren so, so much. Um, and then obviously, like you said, it stands out. He did have, you know, I felt like Jaw had a lot of assists in the first half. Like it, it's, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting. I remember, and this might be a random metaphor, but I remember talking about uh, watching uh, the Manning cast talking about defenses. And I think the Packers were playing someone um, and they were talking how the defense was making Aaron Rodgers just throw short throws because they thought he's going to get frustrated and want to throw it long at some point because he just, he hates dinking and dunking. And I felt like, uh, you know, it's interesting because Darvin Ham, uh, again, part of the bud tree and like in similar fashion to where I feel like we uh, always have an interesting game plan for the Bucks when we play them. I feel like Darvin Ham kind of knowing being really close with Jenkins came up with an interesting game plan for us, which I think was basically like, will Jaw make the pass? Uh, we're going to kind of keep him from doing his thing. And, and I thought Jaw was disciplined in the first half with that. Um, and I think in the second half, you know, possibly because of the sharp incident, possibly because of just the way he likes to play third quarters, I think Jaw, rather than making uh, the assist or even like the hockey assist, you know, the pass that goes to the pass, I felt like he just forced a lot of shots. Um, just had, this was the, the game that he had the most just kind of weird, like floaters or kind of shots in the lane that just weren't close or just you know, not good with two guys on him where it's very like, Hey, there's somebody open here. I just, so it just thought it was a very, uh, weird game from jaw. It did feel, um, it was the kind of game watching jaw, honestly, that you wonder <laughs> there, there's, you know, it's the cliche, but the LA nightlife question, <laughs> um, for the night before. And you begin to, um, start to, you know, you see the jokes on Twitter, but I mean, there is this sense of, you know, the 11 game win streak, feeling ourselves after the Cavs game, uh, being, being in LA for a night before the Lakers, which you think, you know, which are a terrible team, you know, not, uh, not playing well, you know, we don't have to be, you know, focused a hundred percent to go in and beat them. And you do wonder if all those things, you know, again, we never know. I mean, it's kind of the jokes with the LA nightlife, but, but it just, it, uh, jaw just felt off. And that was the other thing I was talking about. I mean, I don't know if that injury from that we talked about him being questionable with the MLK game, if that's an, you know, that, that kind of hip thigh issue that he's had, if that's a lingering thing as well. Um, so I don't know, but there's all those kind of thoughts kind of can't cross my mind because it just, we just didn't look right. The Grizzlies shot 42% overall. 31% from three, 65% from the free throw line, 26 for 40 there. And yet, they were up with less than 30 seconds to go, running a play to get Bain the ball specifically, to hit some free throws, extend it to a three-point lead, and test our luck with a terrible shooting L.A. Lakers team on the other end. And what happened was a turnover that was – Super uncharacteristic for the Grizzlies where I thought, I don't know if if it, I mean, Bain obviously should have been taking much better care of the ball, but Schroeder left Tyus Jones right in front of the bench. I thought it was notable we didn't see the bench necessarily like yelling 
for, you know, somebody's coming to Bane. You know, like there wasn't right. a lot of communication. Tyus was sort of right. standing still in that moment. And I think it was just a bit of shock uh, with that, especially after the steal coming down, getting fouled. Like Bane had the frustration yeah. bump at that point as well. And, and we still... After John missed a bad floater and Brandon Clark yeah. somehow got the rebound, had another chance to tie the game. And so we tried our very best the whole time to lose it. And yet we yep. still had a chance at the end. One play that's going to go, I think, untalked about that I thought was maybe the biggest decider in the last minute was when the Lakers missed a shot on their end and Ja and Brandon actually ran into each other when they were both going for the rebound, which would have... Essentially, if they would have gotten that rebound, they would have had to get fouled, gone to the line again, and maybe extended this game a little bit further so that the Lakers weren't in position to take advantage of, of a late turnover. And so I thought that was one yep. thing, um, which just adding to the, the errors there. Um, I pulled down some stats from Cleaning the Glass, which I thought were pretty interesting to uh, where the Grizzlies are in terms of shooting and how they rank the there, there's an interesting comparison in, in cleaning the glass, which which shows you uh, location effective field goal percentage and then actual effective field goal percentage. And the lo- location effective field goal percentage is essentially um, showing the spread of shots that teams shoot. And it's saying if they shot league average at these specific locations, mm-hmm. what would their overall spread be? And it's supposed to show you you know, are these team are teams taking efficient shots? And right. the the efficient shots would be most of the time at the rim or the three point line. The long mid range is considered to be the least efficient shot. And the Grizzlies right now are ranked fourteenth in location effective field goal percentage. So they're taking basically like an average spread of shots. Their actual effective field goal percentage is nineteenth in the league. And so you what you can gain from that is, you know, they're taking your average shots, but they're not hitting them at a clip in which, um, you know, most of these good teams are. Let's If you look at the highest effective field goal percentage as it relates to location effective field goal percentage, you have Brooklyn at the very top, um, and you have Denver, you have Golden State, you have Sacramento, you have Dallas. So what you're, what you're seeing there is, all these teams are shooting pretty efficient shots, and not only that, they're making actually more than would be expected because they have good shooters. And you look down at um, the bottom half of the league, Memphis is ranked 20th overall in this sort of um, you know, effective field goal percentage versus location. And so the, other, the only other team down here that's actually considered to be a good team is Milwaukee, who's ranked two st- spots below us, and we've... the 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 issues with them have been noted so far this season as well. They're struggling. And so you look yeah. at the top, and it just, to me, all that to say, we are getting to spots on average where we should be hitting, and yet we don't necessarily have the shooters right now to hit the, those shots consistently besides a Bane, besides a Ja normally because he's been taking most of his shots at the rim. But our wings are just not hitting shots that are open. Uh, not hitting shots that are efficient to take. And most of the time, because of John Morant's impact on a game and the way that teams have to defend the paint against him, these shots are open. So we need some help. And that's why the whole Danny Green thing, to me, has become way more important after a game like last night where you had a chance to win, and if you were to hit a couple more threes, that that might not be a game at the end. And so right. I just wanted to know where we stand 
shooting is still our biggest woe so far. Right, this and season. yeah, we'll talk about the Suns game in a minute, but but when we shoot like forty percent from three, like we absolutely destroy teams, you know, and that that really is, you know, I mean, if like, and that's like good teams, that's bad teams, like when we shoot. A high, like even not even you know I said forty three percent was crazy but I mean if we get thirty six thirty seven percent from three um, because of how good we are in almost every other category uh, than shooting like we like we beat every team you know and that really is and that's why I said that and that's why there is an excitement I think for me as well about Danny Green's uh, potential return. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, that was a huge, I mean, it's, you, you talk about it. I mean, that's, that's, we didn't, we didn't play well. We didn't shoot well. Uh, you know, we have Bain and Clark, who I actually, I think were probably our two best players of that game. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, each made a bad play down the stretch with, with Clark missing a free throw and with Bain, you know, I think expecting just to be fouled. And not being strong, you know, which is funny because Bain's like our strong, other than Stephen Adams, probably our strongest player. And just not being strong with the ball, just kind of ex- like for his mind is, oh, I have it. Now I'm just going to go to the free throw line. Well, you know, and, and he and it was definitely, you know, I think a foul if it's not the last 30 seconds of a game. But still, you got to be strong with it, uh, you know, and, and like we kept doing that and kind of you were talking about, uh, you know, Clark and Jaw running into each other. It was really a perfect storm of, of that sort of thing. I mean, the other thing, you know, just to talk about what's w- the weirdness of the game, like and I don't know if we had one late, but basically no fast break points, which is just crazy for us. I mean, that's. It's just unbelievable to not have fast break points for us. Like it felt like we didn't really want to run, which felt really weird. Uh, obviously, you know the big thing people talk about: eighty-one free throws in the game. It was giving me terrible T Wolves. Uh, you know, game one flashbacks of just so many free throws, so many fouls called. Uh, but at the same time, I think that was partly just us not playing great defense to give up 41 points in the fourth quarter, just something we never do. I mean, if you look at all of our games, especially on the 11 game win streak, but even before that, I mean, fourth quarter is usually one of our best defensive quarters. It's where we really ratchet up the defense to give up 41 points to what's honestly a really bad team uh, is just ridiculous. And like, even looking at it, I was looking at the, you know, the breakdowns and kind of, you were talking about shots and where you expect, but we basically, in that in that game, uh, in the fourth quarter, we gave up four threes, uh, all of which were wide open. But part of it was because we kind of wanted them shooting it. But it was four threes, and this is the thing that troubled me: six layups or dunks uh, that were not really contested at all. Uh, Thirteen free throws, and so so of all that, uh, you know, with only two two shots being quote mid range, but one of them was the, was like this <laughs> Gabriel threw up this random hook shot that was in the paint that went in. But basically for the fourth quarter, we only had them. They only made one mid range jump shot and all these layups dunk, all these free throws, all these threes just shows we were not playing good defense in the fourth quarter. And, and what's crazy. And you were saying all that with 45 seconds left to go in the third quarter, we were up by 13 points. Like and and not, and that and just to show you how the game went. We were up 13 points with 45 seconds left, but we went into the fourth quarter only up eight. In other words, they went on. Uh, they they were somehow 
went on a six one run in the last forty five seconds due to due to five free throws. I mean four free throws made and like a and a random shot. And so just it's like it was just kind of that kind of night where uh, you know, as bad as we played, as bad as we looked, all that stuff. We were up 13, basically, with a minute left to go uh, in the third. And then we had four or five times to just kind of win it and seal it there in the fourth quarter. And just didn't hit that three we needed to hit. Couldn't couldn't go two for two from the free throw line. Couldn't make that stop. It, it was, you know, and I hate the Lakers. And so it's just frustrating. <laughs> it is frustrating, especially when a guy like Kendrick Nunn comes in and has like two inexplicable fouls in the fourth quarter to put us on yes. the line. And like, and just is trying to lose that game actively. Yeah. <laughs> and, Dylan, yes. and LeBron James, too. I mean, only 23 points, nine rebounds, and six assists for a guy like LeBron, who, if you look yeah. at his past 10 games, has been scoring well above 30 yeah. in each of them. To only be held to 23, I mean, one of five from three, eight of 21 from the floor, it really was guys like Dennis Schroeder, even Russell Westbrook off the bench who somehow had one of his like best shooting games of the entire season. Yeah. And uh, like you're saying like earlier, the, the Bain-Clark duo, there's a premium now on our team with efficient shooting. And those are the, one of the only two of the guys that are efficient besides Steven Adams. And honestly, like early on in the game, he had a great first quarter. And I, I was saying, feed Steve-O. Like they have yeah. nobody who could handle him. And it shows you, too, that we don't necessarily have to hit all of these shots to win because of Steven Adams and because of the second chance points, right. the offensive rebounding. But yeah, like when we hit shots, it's going to be really hard to beat us. Jaron, to me, played over thirty minutes and he had four blocks. I don't, I mean, the foul, the fouls to me, did not get as much into his head this game, which I thought was actually right. encouraging. It yeah. didn't like he he used his fouls really well. There was only like yeah. one that I wish that he had, and it was hunting for a really good block, which he got, but got some of the body. I forget who it was. Um, right, like Troy Brown, maybe someone like that, but. Yeah, I thought overall, like, it was a fine Jaron game. It was just a weird yeah. jaw game, and everybody looked slow. Uh, Jenkins, yeah. after the, the game, just said that it was a complete lack of effort, which I, I yeah. agree. I don't think it – I mean, if you look at these two teams on paper, there's no reason we, we should have lost, even in L.A. Um, yeah. Just an effort, effort game, and just a couple of, of miscues down the stretch. The NFL playoff action continues. We're one step closer to Super Bowl 57, and for the NFL Divisional Round, check out DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your NFL winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code, use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL Divisional Round and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, it, it, Jenkins reminded me that, you know, that interview took me back to last year when we got destroyed by the Phoenix Suns at home, it was pretty early on in the season, but it was just like, like from the beginning. Uh, and I, I remember it cause I was at the game and it was one of the few games where I looked at, <laughs> if I started like the second quarter, it was like, yeah, I was joking because I wasn't going to leave, but I was like, Gee, should we leave? <laughs> cause we just, 
we had nothing, and they I think they beat us by twenty five thirty. It was like really embarrassing. Um, but it was but the night before uh, was the little baby concert at uh, the FedEx Forum, I believe, and I remember them talking about it. Uh, because it was one of those. And then I remember on the radio, some people hinting at later that week, the Jenkins kind of gave them a night to go have fun, but then like, basically it's like no more that, I mean, and, and again, I don't want to make too much of the sort of nightlife type stuff, but that was the, what Jenkins remind me of was just like, uh, and I don't, I don't even know if it was LA. I just think we want, we've won 11 in a row. We, we had a great, which we'll talk about in a second Cavs game, which was awesome. Great win. And I just felt like we just didn't come in with with the requisite effort with, uh, you know, and, and I think it's frustrating because it's a national game. Uh, you know that for the last two days, all people have been playing is all the, you know, sort of all the trash talking to LeBron, uh, you know, and all those things. And so so I think it's, it's just it's a frustrating loss. And we just we played really bad. I mean, what's great is we played bad. Uh, and especially in particular, John Dillon had, I think, not good games and we still should have won. We still should have won the game, but it's just, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to lose on national TV again. It's frustrating to lose late. It's frustrating to lose the Lakers. Uh, and so like all around just a, it, like, I hate the Lakers, you know, and to me, this is easily ranks up with the Christmas day loss as the most frustrating loss of the season. Um, you know, and it, and so, yeah, all, all that said, it's just, you know, I don't, it, it's just frustrating. Um, one other thing, and you did mention the thing that I do want to say, like, yeah, Adam's only got eight, eight second half minutes. And I, and I understand because one, they were kind of doing the hack of Adam stuff and two Clark was playing really well, but how good he was in the first quarter, like you were saying, when you were saying feed Steve-O. Uh, I do think sometimes the weird, the rotation and how sort of structured we are with it can get it to where we look up and a guy who's obviously awesome for us is getting very little minutes. And so, you know, and we see that with Jaron a lot. I was actually happy he got to play more this game, but, um, you know, so I wonder about that too. I kind of wish Adams would have gotten more minutes. I'm pretty sure that Adams is shooting like 60 or 70% on any hack of Steve-O, by the way, this season. I don't yes. know if we've been tracking it, but he actually hit the free throws when they did foul him. And then they came in and fouled Brandon Clark after the fact too. And Brandon hit either one of two or two of two. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, the, the last thing I'll say is I tweeted this like probably it was like midnight uh, last night, but I said, I forgot that uh, a national TV game is worth 11. And so it was just like, just a reminder, like, yeah. this is another regular season game. People are going to freak out. It's going to be all over the headlines. We we seem to love, you know, laying eggs during these huge matchups on national TV game. And I don't say huge matchups in terms of the opponent. I just mean in terms of the attention. And yeah. with everything going on after the fact or during halftime with Sharp, I, I just think much too much is going to be made of this game. I fully expect it to come out and and um, give a lot more effort in in our next few games uh, I do. moving forward. So get back on the winning streak here. Yeah, and in some ways, I mean, I think this is for longtime Grizzlies fans. Uh, we we put a lot of pride in the national TV games. We always felt like we get 
we don't get respected. We would rarely get national TV games. And so when that happened, we put a lot of effort into it. I know a lot of y'all out there that listen to us, you know, uh, are, are cable cutters or just have basic cable. And so like, hey, the Grizzlies playing Lakers and ESPN is one of our few opportunities to get to really watch them. You get excited about it. And so that's why it stinks. I do think we've changed into like the team we have now doesn't really care about national TV games. We have a bunch of them. Uh, they, they're Gen Z, so they don't care about cable. Uh, you know, I just think that's, and that's something that I'm having to get used to because I'm just so used to the core four, man, when we had a game on TNT or ESPN, it was like, they brought something extra. Uh, I also think our core four, you know, we're forgetting they were older and they could kind of mess around and then know how to win in the fourth. And we're still dealing with a young team who thinks they can do that. But obviously, like a last, uh, like a game last night, we get caught. You know, we don't know how to close out a game that we obviously should have closed out, um, and it stinks because you know now we're now we we got a little separation between us and the Nuggets, and and that's a big deal. And so these are just the kind of games if we want to be the one seed the West that we just cannot lose going forward. And now we're gonna have to find a game maybe that we should have lost, uh, maybe in these next four, you know, t- to win to kind of make up for. It. But I agree with you. You know, it's one game. And, uh, and I think we're going to have a, a really good week coming up. Speaking of a game where the Grizzlies did know how to close out, the Cavaliers' win the other night was one of the biggest of the season, in my opinion. I was lucky enough to be in attendance and was so impressed by the level of basketball that was being played. It also, for a Wednesday night rainy game in Memphis, it was a great crowd. I think that... Being a basketball city, people know, people keep track of who the good teams are. There was an awareness that this Cavaliers game was going to be the first uh, one in a while where we've actually played a good team with most of their players. Notably, Donovan Mitchell was hurt. You, you've you uh, carved out the take that maybe the Cavs are better without Mitchell, which I totally uh, I oh, love that take. I'm totally behind that take strong, too. <laughs> they seem to play a lot more free, one of my takeaways, and I want to get into the final sequence mm-hmm. in just a second, but one of my big takeaways was how just impressed I was with Darius Gar- Garland, Evan Mobley, mm-hmm. um, and Jared Allen in particular. Those three really, I mean, they have a core right now that will probably be around for a while, and those it's very rare to see two, like a four and a five, who match up in terms of physicality and height with Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson. I thought that Mobley and Allen yeah. really did. I was not I did not feel that we had any sort of advantage down low for that reason. I thought that Ja is to me, he has a couple more tools in his tool bag than Garland at this point in his career. So I did feel like we had the minor edge there, but what Ja does not have is a lethal step back, which Garland was hitting this game, and yep. I was also impressed with Garland's distribution as well. What do you think overall before we get into kind of the final defensive sequence for the Grizzlies? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's that's that was my big takeaway, that, you know, this is a team that kind of mirrors us in a lot of ways, and they do, uh, like, that That it was, it was just weird not feeling like Jaron and Steven had this sort of uh, mismatch, you know, and how are we going to take advantage of it and how are we going to do that or or how are they going to try to spread us out with two bigs? But actually, like, no, it's, it was just the same, you know, kind of the Spider-Man meme looking at each other. Uh, and I agree. I think, you know, one interesting thing 
because that is my hot take. I, I do think I'm, I'm wary of Donovan Mitchell. I think he's a great player, obviously had the awesome 71 and 11 assists game. I think he's a really good regular season player. Uh, I just think his teams have often underachieved in the playoffs. I worry about him as a culture guy. And this is where I worry about him because uh, like, I really enjoy the Cavs, you know, even, even though I was so happy that JB Bickerstaff's no longer the Grizzlies coach, I have warm feelings towards him. Uh, So I really like, they're one of my favorite league pass teams to watch. And like, I just the, it, you watch a game like that, and it's like, man, what is what's been going on with Garland? Well, it's because Garland can't be the alpha with Donovan Mitchell, and I actually think that's who Garland is. I mean, he is more of the jaw, Chris Paul. Like, I just think he's the guy who needs to run the show, and you just can't do that when you have Donovan Mitchell. And is Donovan Mitchell good enough in all the other areas to to be okay with kind of getting less Garland. I don't know. I mean, that's, and that's where my hot take about the Cavs comes from. I just, I think it's going to be really fun to look at down the road, uh, kind of how we decided to do patience interdevelopment, and they went out and got a big, big name, kind of an all-star fringe, all-star guy uh, to kind of for their course. It'll be interesting going forward. But with that, you know, I think Darius Garland's great. I do think that one of the, uh, reasons he had so many assists, which was great, uh, is because his guys made shots. Uh, one of the big things that stuck out to me is for for them, this was a shot variance game, uh, which made it all the more exciting that we won it. Uh, they are not; they're like us. <laughs> they they do not; uh, they're not great shooting team. They often don't make the shots. Uh, that they get, especially that are wide open. That's one of their big issues with Okoro and other people who tried to play on the wing, that they have the similar issues of guys not hitting wide open corner threes. And yet, in this game, they shot 51% from two, 46% from three, uh, which is just crazy, which that is, when the Cavs shoot 46% from three, that is when you look uh, you look and you're like, man, the Cavs won by 25 tonight. And and that the thought the fact that they shot forty six percent, which is one of the reasons why I think Garland had four, had so many assists, is because his guys that he was throwing out to were hitting shots. The fact that they shot that well and we still won, uh, that was the that was my one huge takeaway. Just that how good our defense is that we because that's like the kind of in a seven game series in the playoffs uh, when your opponent can have a great shooting game have a shot variance game, but you still pull out the win by kind of just doing everything else well, making the the clutch uh, sort of plays late. Uh, that's that's how you win a tough seven-game series against a team like Golden State, a team like Denver. And that's what I took away. That So that's why it was so exciting, that win, because I don't think we'd necessarily played like up to our level as far as hitting shots and looking kind of like ourselves, but we won a game against a great opponent. Let me put it this way. If Dylan Brooks, if all else was equal, everybody hit their averages, but Dylan Brooks went four for four from three, six for six from the field. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? Like, it would be a thunder 50-point blowout situation. Yeah. I mean, at that point, sound the alarms. Uh, Isaac Okoro, we compared him to Dylan this past week, but, man, he was absolutely on fire. Let's get down to the actual last minute of the game. Uh the Cavs were up by three after a an Evly, Evan Mobley uh, hook shot there to put him up 114 to 111. Ja comes down, gets fouled, and this is where I've been most nervous 
which I was at the line because he's going to get fouled these late in games when he's taking it when he's when he's taking it really hard to the hoop and he made both the free throws to cut it to a one point game and this is when the excitement really started because the Cavs came down they forced a switch to where Garland was now Jaron was guarding Garland and I didn't understand the rationale of wanting that switch in particular at all um, so uh, Jaron Jaron basically forces or gets in the way of a, a, a three point shot. They get the rebound. Mobley gets the rebound, and then Garland resets it out top, tries to drive, and then Jaron Jackson absolutely puts it away. An amazing block, super clutch. There is a timeout called by Cleveland to reset. There was about uh, a few seconds left on the shot clock, I believe. But then we force a five-second call under the basket, which, I mean... I think there's an argument to be made. It might have been, you know, 4.5. I don't care. The ref called what he called. It was a five-second turnover. And John Morant comes down, misses a left-handed layup, but Steve-O is right there to clean it up uh, and puts us up by one. And then the Cavs don't call a timeout, come down, Garland tries to force it uh, tries to make something happen against Dylan, then passes it off to Levert, who immediately passes it back. Dylan gets the block. We seal the game. I just thought overall the team defense at the end was just superb. And yeah. and this is against a team, like you said, who was shooting lights out, and yet we found a way to get it done on the defensive end. Um, FedEx Forum was absolutely rocking after this. Dylan had not had one of his better games, and I thought that this was huge. For Obviously, we have the Lakers game now to look at right after, but I – at yeah. the time, thought that it could be kind of a turnaround for Dylan uh, to get some of that confidence right. back. And either way, like no matter what, we right. have him at the end of a game, and I trust him to make a play on the opponent's best player despite maybe some offensive struggles throughout. But overall, just unbelievable defensive performance there at the end. Yeah, yeah and on that Dylan point, you know, we didn't – I mean, again, uh, I, I honest, I mean, you say that, and, and that's, you know, for as much as I kind of hammered Dylan about the Lakers game – uh, I think if he doesn't foul out, I think we win that game. I, I think he would have found a way because that's that's the that is what Dylan does. He would have found a way to make sure we don't lose that game late. I, I think him fouling out was kind of a secret bad part about the Lakers game. To go back to that real quick, but to the to the Cavs, I just think that you know it was an amazing sequence, and you know and and maybe I'll get get on my hot take rant for a minute, but this is again why I care so much about Jaron Jackson, why I've defended Dylan in the past, uh, even though he drives me crazy with his offensive efficiency and decisions at times. Uh, and, and it's why every single court in the NBA has six on it. Why the Celtics are wearing six because of Bill Russell, because while he was fine offensively, what Bill Russell did was he was the by far the best defender uh, and he won. He won tons of championships. He he was an amazing defender, and that's one of, why he's one of the top five, you know, players ever. And and I think I'll continue to say when we th- when you hear talk about all stars, we hear talk about all sorts of things. Uh, we care so much about offense and stats, but defense really, really matters. 
and uh, you know, and I think you can win with defense. And so, as much as like you were talking about with that stat, and and it's frustrating because it's like, can we just shoot a little better? Can we just make the open shots? And I hope when Danny Green comes back, he can do that. And I hope some of the guys that haven't been doing it can do it. Um, but what's great is we have the number one defense in the NBA. I don't see that changing. I think that's something that that will win us playoff games, you know, and hopefully win us more than that uh, going forward. But I just think that that sequence is like, that's the Grizzlies so much, you know, that's a sequence. Obviously we love the dunks. We love the cool plays, uh, you know, the Bane long, you know, logo threes, all that stuff. But, uh, but defense is what, if we win a title in the next few years, um, hopefully this year, uh, it's going to be because of sequences like that and because of our defense and how good it is. And, and we, you know, it is 50% of the game and that we are the elite team in the NBA on it. And I think that sequence, uh, not just that last sequence, but that whole last minute showed, uh, you know, why we have a good record and why we're so good. Another note, Santi Aldama played, I think, probably his best game as a Grizzly yes. so far. I thought he was the key off the bench. If you look at the rest of the guys, Tyus Jones, Zaire Williams, John Contra in particular, combined for 47 minutes and seven points. Just could not hit a shot. Santi came in, hit four for six from three, had a between-the-legs dunk that that didn't count but was really exciting, <laughs> um, but then also held his own defensively. And I thought, to me, yep. this is a game to mark down as, like, Santi could be a playoff guy, and he could very yeah. well be in the rotation. There's been talk about, you know, as guys come back from injury, um, will Santi be the one who gets bumped down in the rotation? And I'm here to say he shouldn't be because he has range. No. He complements well with Brandon Clark if you have to play them together. Uh, granted, the Grizzlies don't usually. They'll have one of Steven Adams or Jaron Jackson on the floor. We've been calling for Santi and Jaron to have more minutes together. But either way, Santi is versatile. He can defend. And man, like he is one of the one yep. of the ones that I trust now to make a shot. If Ja's no. gonna I mean he Ja had an unbelievable behind the back pass to him in the corner. Santi yeah, didn't, I was mention didn't bring it down at all, just kept it up no. and just shot. And uh you know, just from all over. I thought he affected the game in so many ways and uh yep. was a much needed scorer because we're we're great on defense. Like we, like you said, like elite teams play defense. You still need some scoring off the bench if if you want to give your starters a rest and not have everything on the shoulders of Bain and Morant. And I thought that Santi provided just that. I was very impressed with his performance. Yeah. No, I think Santi's been great. Uh, he's been you – know, I think he was good last night So in the Lakers game. So he's he's been a great surprise. And, again, uh, I'm glad that uh, – if I'm hoping that my, my worst take of the last six months will be me being out on him – uh, in summer league because he's just, he's been great. And, uh, and, and by the way, just uh, like, and we're going to talk about in a second uh, in, in these other games, some highlight dunks by jaw, but just sneaky uh, weird behind the back pass, but like up and with English on it that goes right into the shooting pocket of Santi that, that might underrated be maybe my favorite job moment of the, of the season. Honestly, I, that is uh that is 10 out of 10 difficulty. Um, you know, I know he had the dunk of the year that we're going to talk about here in a second, but I don't know. I might prefer that, that pass. That was unbelievable pass. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the Suns and the Pacers games, unless you have more on the Cavs, which was just, again, like one of the wins of the season. Um, 
the we Suns should have podcasted after the Cavs game. <laughs> yeah, we should have, honestly. Um, I don't know why we waited. Why did we wait? Um, well, we thought we would beat this terrible team called the Lakers. That's also, we were oh, waiting well. for the 12th straight. By the way, I'm I'm kind of sounding uh, another alarm maybe on, uh, is there a curse of 12? We just can't get to 12 while, while 12 is on our team. I think that's going to be. I don't know what the deal is. That's a threshold to keep in mind. So if we cross it, you know, maybe that's the key. I don't know what's going on um, there, but just something to note. It's weird that we've stopped on 11 yes, twice in a row. It is. Um, but the Suns just came out absolutely shooting on fire in that MLK game. And another one where I thought the TNT curse was going to be full into effect, uh, as I mentioned a few weeks ago. Um, and and yet, the Grizzlies, after going down 36-29 to 29 after the first quarter, came out in the second and third quarter, uh, scored 39 in each of those, showing why we are yep. now officially the second and third quarter teams. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, overall, just, I mean, Bain couldn't miss a uh, job, had 29 on 11 of 20, and hit five yep. threes in the game, too. I thought Jaron, with six blocks, just absolutely controlled yep. the game on that. And, and this, to me, just felt and, – and also, just in terms of, like, the shot spread – like Ja with twenty shots, Bain with twelve, Jaron with eleven, Dylan with eight, Steven with five. Um yep. I just thought it was a perfect spread for the starters and uh everybody in uh who started has uh a plus seventeen or more in the plus minus category. And this was a Suns team that was missing their yep. best players. Like there's no reason why we should have lost this game. And I thought it was an important one on a on a national yep. stage. Yeah, I mean outscoring them by ten in the second 16 in the third, 11 in the fourth, you know, and, and, and NBA teams like to look at quarters and basically be like, if you can outscore a team by 10 in a quarter, you almost have like a 95% chance of winning that game. That's like a big metric they use. And for us to do it three of the four quarters, beat them by double digits. Um, but like, you know, I mean, this is as much as we were saying, you know, Cavs is like a good gritty, like this is kind of like an average game. We beat a good team because of our defense. The Lakers, we play horrible and just win by one. Well, here's the metric of when we actually make the shots that are open, uh, when we shoot well, uh, jaw going five for eight from three, um, you know, some of our bench guys hitting shots, uh, like a Roddy, a David Roddy coming in and going two for four from three. Well, we just absolutely demolish teams and win by 30. Like, and that's, you know, and, and I think that's something to just take what you're saying is as sad as we feel about the Lakers. I mean, and I'm going to be angry until we play our next game about it. We have to remember where we are because most of NBA teams, it's like this is the game they play and they like barely win it or they win it. But like when we play well like this, we demolish teams. And, you know, and that's what makes it so frustrating when we like lose these games to the Lakers. But it's because we played really bad uh, and we still almost won, you know, as we've talked about. But the Suns game was just great. And it's great. I'm glad that we're just we're shifting this kind of you know, where we used to like lose these MOK games to now we are coming in and having very comfortable wins against opponents. I hope that that trend continues. Uh, I like seeing it. So, uh, you know, and continue weird, uh, and maybe we'll talk about this more when we talk about next the games next week. But weird, weird Suns vibes, weird Aiton vibes, where he literally just sort of gave up on some plays and just kind of like let Steven Adams just like kind of walk into rebounds. It was very weird. Uh, and and like you said, I, I think Dylan eight shots coming off of whatever injury he had in the previous game. Um, but I actually thought that was like kind of that was sort of where we want it, you know, in the pecking order. 
Indiana, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because, I mean, it was just a professional win against a team that did not have their best player in Tyrese Halliburton, but yet they've still been pretty good, so it was an important one not to just completely gloss over. It was it could have been a total trap game, um, but, of course, the dunk heard around the world. Um, I, I kind of had a hot take that I wanted to, to say on the last podcast, but forgot for lack of time, and it was, you know, the dunk deserves all it's due, I myself think that in order for a dunk to truly be just out of this world incredible, you have to catch it clean. And Jaws did graze the rim, and so I thought that there was another level that it could have gone up to be truly his best dunk. Like, when you look at a perfect John Morant dunk, just look at the one from last year in the playoffs against Malik Beasley to where not only situation, where it was playoffs, we needed a spark. We, I, I was at that point in the arena, sitting down, was going over the uh, eulogy for the Grizzlies season, and yet Ja just absolutely rocks the rim, um, and and just catches it clean, like I said. But this Pacers dunk, I mean, it was still incredible. Like I'm again, this is just, yeah. this is how, this is the luxury we have to nitpick which you know the certain aspects of dunks that we wish were slightly better with a guy who could be the best dunker in the game right now um but all that to say like it was a great win i thought that ja could have could have you know raised the dunk one more level but overall to get the ball that that far back uh, to where it was the yeah. full nine o'clock, as people say, and, and to dunk it on Jalen Smith, a guy who's you know eight inches taller than him, was just was just unbelievable, and it was just it was just a great moment to see the Grizzlies go viral yet again uh, for something yeah. that Dominic did in the midst of NFL Wild Card Weekend, yeah, hundred percent, you know, which is which is pretty crazy, and I agree. I mean, so I think like the theme of uh, the theme of the podcast is we're just leaving a little bit on the table, like Jock can have an even more incredible dunk. We can at some point win 12 games in a row. We're just, we're leaving a little bit on the table. Um, I do, you know, honestly, and, and it's a little thing, but like with jobbing, like kind of, I do wonder a little bit if there, if he felt that the next day, you know, because I do think he's, you know, like you said, watching both the Cavs and the Lakers, he has not felt as quick and spry. Uh, since that moment. And so I do sometimes wonder if that dunk kind of, you know, fortunately Steven Adams was there uh, to keep him um, from totally recoiling. But, uh, but I do wonder if a little bit, if that, if that, that, that landing was a little bit awkward because I think he caught the, caught that rim a little bit, like you were saying. So it takes a but toll. I don't know. Jumping that high it takes does. a toll as both of us would it know. It does. Um, it does. Um, another sneaky good game from Santi, by the way, uh, you know, again, Bain was awesome. I love that Jaw had ten assists. Uh, Jaw. Two other moments I'll note. Uh, one is Jaw had an unbelievable block that just got uh, you know chased down block again that just totally got lost in because of his amazing I blame the dunk. Refs. I blame yes. the refs too Another moment. The and I believe yes, because that kind of messed things up for for Twitter and for other highlight shows. But I'll say, and I think I have to give credit to you. I think you were the one who who maybe pointed this out. Uh, but one of my sneaky little fun moments is that the Grizzlies have this play they like to do out of bounds uh, on sideline out of bounds, where they they look like they're setting up a sort of a backdoor cut 
for a guard, you know, for Jaw, sometimes for an alley-oop or just for a backdoor cut. But then they turn around and they actually screen the big man and they get and the big man gets an alley-oop. And we we did that play after a timeout. We've done it a few times. Uh, I think teams are starting to find it. But what's so funny is afterwards we did it. Jaron, who was out of the game, uh, stood stood up and came and uh, gave uh, one of our coaches like a high five. Uh, you know, or, uh, which was funny, kind of like a uh, you know you drew the, this was so I guess it was like that's the coach who drew up the player. But it was this funny moment, and you could tell the coach was like not having it it was just a it was a very pure jaron moment uh that whether i just love jared is like a oh hey good job coach go and give it a like you never congratulations see, you never see that and that's why it was so notable <laughs> and that's why i texted y'all because i was like and you could barely catch it on the broadcast but yes i mean it's just like the pure joy of of yes. the team overall as like a a, a unit together along yes. with the coaches and the players. Um, this is when I love the youth of our guys because they, yes. just, I mean, it's very pure. It's just a pure excitement right. about it's pure. Yeah. Um, like it, something they practice, for sure, like something that they've gone over and it actually works in the game situation. Yeah. So. That's definitely like the, uh, you know, not to become my cliche, but the, that's definitely a hashtag culture care factor type moment but like yeah i just think that's you know uh nba regular season stuff you just don't see that from a lot of these jaded nba teams is just a guy getting excited about hey we 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 uh put in a play and it worked and uh go and congratulate coaches it was great all right let's do some rapid fire here um mvp of the week uh i'll let you go first I i think i went last time yeah so um so to me uh i have the the obvious and I think easy one is Bain. I just think Bain's been awesome. He shot, you know, basically 50% or greater from three in all the games. And I've just been struck by his playmaking. Uh, I felt like both in the Cavs and the Lakers game last night, uh, like in the kind of clutch situations, obviously he messed up at the very end for the Lakers, but he just made some great plays, just the right passes. It just felt like he, like when we need a run to end or we uh, like from the other team or just need something, he does it, whether it's making a play with a pass, you know, getting in the right spots, hitting a shot, uh, and I just, and he's been playing great defensively as well. And so I just, I look at the, the week and I just think he played great all four games. I think almost every game he was plus in the plus minus. Uh, so I, I think Bain's an obvious, uh, a, a subtle honorable mention and you already did a, did a thing about it. So I won't mention it, but Sante Aldama, I think he's just been a revelation. I thought he was, you know, if he, you know, he's a bench player, so don't play as much minutes. Hard to give him MVP. Uh, but I thought, like, if we have a bench MVP, it's definitely all Dama. But for overall MVP of the week, I have to go with Bane. Bench VP. I love it. Um, I have Bane as well. He shot 55.5% from three on 27 attempts in the last four games. He's just on fire. I thought he uh, added another uh, move to his bag, which is an, an actual step back. That's not a travel. Shout out James Harden. Uh, one of the just the cleanest step backs you're going to see in the Cavs game and just controlled offensively. And um, also is just a, he's becoming similar to a jaw and a Steven Adams where you can just rely on him at this point when he's healthy and notable in the in the Phoenix game. When he hit threes, I don't think one of them hit the rim at all. Like it's just straight through it's like a golfer who when they when their putt just hits like the middle of the cup and that's that's what he's doing right now so he also got my mvp of the week okay to get into our 
our previews, you have a guess who for me, I believe. Yeah, so I've I've I have two questions and it'll be interested to see. Just and this is just kind of pure fun for me, but uh so we play four teams, the Suns, the Kings, the Warriors and the T Wolves. Um and I was looking, you know, we're all about the triple double these days. Everybody's talking about triple doubles. And what's interesting is Suns, no nobody's had a triple double. Um the Kings, as you would expect, DeMontis Sabonis, who is a guy who brings out triple doubles, has five. But uh the Warriors and the T Wolves, uh who I, I was going to ask you, who do you think leads the Warriors in triple doubles this year? Because I find this interesting. Um, so I think I would probably guess Draymond. No, so that's what's interesting to me. It's Steph Curry, really. Uh, and Draymond has not had any triple doubles. Oh, that's shocking. Uh, this year, which is very, which is interesting. Which I, I think, um which is one of the things I want to talk about the worst, but like, I think that shows something be, uh, that he hasn't had one yet. And then here's the, so here's the real guess too. Uh, who, who leads the T wolves in triple doubles? Oh man, this is, this is tough. I'm trying to think. This is the through. one, this is the real guess who I wanted to. Um, it's not Jaden McDaniels, is it? No, it's not. Um, okay. I will then, see if I can figure this out because Cat's been hurt for a while. I know that Rudy Gobert most likely is not because he's not necessarily, I mean, he gets points and rebounds. Anthony Edwards would be, I feel like, the obvious choice, but um, gosh, yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know. Just some. All right, so uh, he did it this way. It's Kyle Anderson. Oh, Kyle, of course, (laughs) of course. So, uh, which is hilarious because – um, Kyle's been on a tear of uh, a triple double, and then if you count it, four straight double doubles, a triple double, and uh, which I found hilarious. So he, there's only they've only had one triple double, and it's Kyle Anderson this week, That's uh, which I find hilarious. But but that Kyle is on a tear for them, and with the absence uh, of Cat and and uh, and then even Gobert's missed games. He's kind of been day to day some. Um, They've kind of like given the keys to Kyle Anderson, and he's kind of doing all the Kyle Anderson things we loved. And I just found that really interesting. I mean, he almost won that that Nuggets game for them. I mean, they they T Wolves did away. They were up the whole game against the Nuggets that I really wanted because I was hoping we'd be in first place in the West uh, if they'd lost that game. But but he's been playing great for them, and so I think that's one thing to be interested. Looking forward uh, to next week, it'll be interesting to see if they kind of continue with. I believe I believe Gobert will be back, um, and and I don't know. A cat's going to be a while still, I think. But um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of the a more Kyle Anderson point forward offense they've been running the last few games uh, because I think the last time we played the T Wolves. Um, you know, they just were a shell of themselves. And so it'll be interesting because I do think they're kind of, they, they kind of bring a different look that I might kind of like more spread out with Anthony Edwards. Anyway, it's very interesting, but it's weird. Like point Kyle. That is, I mean, you said you're just not going to be able to shake off the Lakers loss. I'm not going to be shake off, shaking off, just like forgetting that Kyle Anderson was just such a key component of this team. Uh, especially with Carl Anthony Towns out. I actually picked him up in fantasy, and it's taken him a while, um, but I believe now he's he's actually delivering in that respect as well. So let's talk through these games. Uh, Sunday, we have a game in Phoenix. It's actually a 7 o'clock game, so we usually play a little bit earlier on Sunday, which is, is nice for this West Coast trip. 
Monday night and then Wednesday night, to me, are the two games of the week. One against Sacramento, who is right now third in the West, has is 26-18. and 18. And then Golden State, the game after, of course, is going to be circled for the yep. Grizzlies. That's a 9 o'clock game on Wednesday night. Who And the Warriors are 500 right now. And then to round it out, we have the Friday night game in Minnesota. That one's at 6.30, and so we get a little bit earlier matchup there. They're 23-24, and 24, so four teams in the West – Suns are 10th seed, Sacramento 3rd, Golden State 6th, Timberwolves 9th. Um, and all these teams have different strengths and weaknesses, but uh, the ones that, like I said, Sacramento, that's all of a sudden like a huge matchup. The two versus the three in the Western Conference. And then Golden State, of course, big revenge game. This one's also in Golden State again. I think they're going to probably pack the house uh, against the Grizzlies, are going to want to be getting a win. But we, we need a get-right game, and I think this Phoenix game on Sunday night is the perfect opportunity for that. No. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, once, uh, it's interesting cause you know, we think about the West, uh, all these games are bunched and it feels like pretty much any game against the West now, other than maybe the Rockets, uh, you know, at the very bottom of the Spurs, which we've almost used to played all the Spurs, all our games. Um, it's going to be a crazy game because really, you know, it's the, even the Lakers that we played last night. I mean, they all, I think feel like they can make the playoffs and it's so bunched up that it's going to be interesting. I think a couple things to look at is just with the Suns-Kings, that Sunday-Monday back-to-back, and we've been talking about John Dillon looking a little less than 100%, and just so many games we've been playing. I mean, this is the second straight week where it's like four games in seven days kind of in a week. Uh, so I'm wondering if we're going to sit anybody. you know. And it seems like, like you were saying, you know, normally it's like, okay, sitting somebody on a Kings game, whatever, but like you were saying, it's the second and third. It's a, it's a 2 seed three seed game so you don't feel like we can do that it makes me wonder if maybe we're going to look at the Suns game as a game to sit or if, if we're just going to play it all out uh you know be interesting because it's hard you know I would say if we beat the Lakers last night I think I would have felt better about sitting out but now I feel like we can't like that was going to be that was the one give me game of the five in my opinion and so and we lost it so so I think uh it'll be interesting to see kind of if how we deal with rotations and if we let some of the rookies play and what we're going to do with that. Uh, Obviously the biggest standout is the Warriors. Um, I would hope uh, after just watching us kind of lay an egg on national TV against the Lakers, I would hope national TV game, Golden State Warriors, they punked us to Bane's own admittance. Like I, you know, I, I would expect a Cavs like home run effort there. Uh, I feel like, um, if if we don't, I think you and I are going to be having uh, a pretty different tone uh, coming in podcasting. Because if we don't really bring it in that game, I'm going to start to be – I think there's going to be some nervousness there. I want to see us play uh, – like at least with energy and effort, play hard at Golden State and play a good game. Yeah, a few notes for me on the actual Western Conference spread as a whole. Denver now has a game-and-a-half lead on the Grizzlies. They've been neck-and-neck neck through this win streak, and Denver just will not lose. And they've had um, – the schedule hasn't been terrible – but overall, they've won nine straight. The Kings right now, like I said, are sitting at the third seed. They've won six straight. And then you're looking at the Pelicans now, fourth seed. The Kings officially passed them. And then you have the Mavericks and the Warriors, five and six. So that's like the non-play-in teams if you look at it right now. Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Pelicans, Mavericks, and Warriors. And then the Clippers are at 500. The Jazz are, are struggling now. They're, they're basically, I think, going to probably be on a downswing, depending on, on this trade deadline coming up as well. And you have the Timberwolves, Suns, and Thunder all within half game of each other for 9, 10, 
and 11. The Thunder have actually been winning a lot recently as well. So, and let's look down at 13 where the Lakers are right now, 21 and 25. Just another reminder that this is just one game um, against a team that's really bad. But overall, just the separation up top uh, with the Nuggets and Grizzlies, but then even, even there, I mean, we just need the Nuggets to lose a game, please. Like, can we just, like, yeah. I don't, I don't think, I think that it will be a battle, but right now a game and a half between those two actually does feel uh, larger than it did last week. And <laughs> yes. so, um, and home court against against Denver, looking way ahead uh, and projecting out, right. could end up being the difference in, in a series yeah. there. And so I just think it's important to have. And a, we are the two best. Yeah. Like Denver and Memphis are the two best home court teams. Hundred percent. So, so I think it's really important to have a check in there. And um, overall, the Western Conference is getting really tight. And there's my dog in the background. So uh, to <laughs> me, that that signals maybe we need to to wrap up here. Any final thoughts, Kraft? Yeah, no, I, I, the couple just like the, the good. The good news is uh, it doesn't seem like it now. Denver actually does have a harder schedule uh, the rest of the way than we do, but they are in a midst of kind of some easy games, a lot of home games. Uh, but they have a really tough February, March coming up, and so to remember that. So, so have a little hope. It does a game and a half because of how the Denver's been playing feels hard, but uh, but but they do their schedule does really really get hard coming up here in the next couple months, but they, they have a very easy January. The longest um, road stretch for the Grizzlies, five games. Um, It's one of the reasons why on my 10 game prediction, I went seven and three instead of eight and two. Um, We really need this Phoenix game now uh, as a get right game. And as you said, we're going to be monitoring the injury situation for the Grizzlies, but don't fret guys. Just one, it's just one game. It's not worth 11. Uh, last night, so let's process through uh, this stretch. Hopefully, we we don't make it more than a one game losing streak. We get right, uh, and then we're ready for those midweek matchups against uh, Sacramento and Golden State. Thank. Get your sleep Monday and Tuesday to stay up late for the Warriors game. That's exactly right. Well, thank you for joining us. We will be back with you. Actually, we have an interview coming up this week uh, centered around uh, trade deadline talk. So we're really excited. to bring you guys that and uh, for craft I'm Will we will talk to you next week then